0: Tonight we're going to be looking at the last part of First Thessalonians, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, if you've got a church Bible, that's page number 1188, and the larger print, that's page number, maybe that's 1838, I think that's correct. So after the last passage from verses, from chapter 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 11, we saw what happens when Jesus returns. We saw what happens to our family who know Jesus, who have believed in Jesus. We saw that we should be living in light of Jesus' return, how it impacts our daily lives. And we saw how we should be ready and can be ready for when Jesus returns. We were reminded that it definitely will happen, it will happen at a time we don't know, and when it does happen, there's no escape from the outcome. We were warned that our response to Jesus, the response to the gospel, is what will be the difference between heaven and hell. Those who reject Jesus and reject his offer of salvation will be judged and sent to the eternal punishment of hell. But those who love and follow Jesus on this earth will be saved and brought into Jesus' kingdom. In the last passage, we saw what sort of people we should be like as Christians. We should be people of the day, people awake and sober, which meant we should be people living obedient lives to Jesus, waiting and expecting his return any time. But what does that look like in the context of the church? How can we be people here in the church, people living as children of the day? What should we be like as a church? In this passage tonight, we see how a church should function as we live in light of Jesus' return. How can the church thrive together now? How can they follow Jesus well as they wait for him to return? So if you Look down in your Bibles, at uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll read from verse 12 to the end of the book. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. In January 1965, Winston Churchill passed away. And as he was dying, his last words were, I'm bored with it all. In May 1999, Frank Sinatra passed away. And his final words were, I'm losing. Although the final words of Winston Churchill and Frank Sinatra aren't very significant, they are remembered. And their final words are remembered because of who they are and not what they said. In today's passage, we come to the final words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. And Paul's words are significant because of what he says and because because of who says them. These are the words of God and they teach us about how we can be a healthy church as we wait for the return of Jesus. We see in this passage three different ways we as a church should be operating. We see the three divisions, I don't know if you saw them as we read. We saw at the start of verse 12 that Paul starts off with brothers and sisters, and then again in verse 14, and then again in verse 25. He addresses them as brothers and sisters. These Thessalonians are new to the Christian faith. Their leaders are new, and as we've seen before, they don't have a New Testament To refer to. Therefore, Paul outlines to these believers how they can function well as a church. So, point number one we see a healthy church respects faithful leaders. Verses 12 to 13. A healthy church respects faithful leaders. In tonight's passage, we see 17 verbs, and a verb is a doing word. And here Paul is building on what he said in chapter 4 and verse 1 as he urges the Thessalonians to keep doing what they are doing, keep living to please God. He gives us specific commands, and they're all in the plural. They're all to the church as a whole, not individuals, but the church as a whole. Paul starts off and tells the Thessalonians to respect your leaders, And these leaders will have been new to the role. They may be new to the faith as well. And they may have got things wrong. There may have been problems. But Paul, who most likely will have set up the leaders or given instructions on which leaders to appoint, there will be probably good leaders. But what is a good leader? Paul assumes the leaders work hard, they care for the people, and they admonish the church, as we are told in in verse 12. This is how Paul expects the leaders to be. Admonishing the church means that the leader will warn the the people, tell them of God's truth. There'll be somebody who points them to Jesus. A leader who teaches contrary to the word of God shouldn't be a leader. A faithful leader must hold firmly to God's truth, even when it's uncomfortable. A leader labors hard in their work and they warn the people of God because they care for them. This isn't just the elders, but it's those who also teach at Discoverers, 116, Sunday School, Home Groups. We have objectives given by God to work hard to love the people with whatever responsibility we have been given. This is a servant's role. Leaders are given to serve God and his people, not not themselves. That's what a leader should be like. But how should we treat our leaders? If our leaders work hard and they seek to love the people, then we are to acknowledge their work, hold them in the highest regard and live at peace with them. As we meet each week, when we hear God's word, we are commanded to obey it. Listen to our leaders as they teach us how we ought to live. We acknowledge God's word as it's taught each week. We seek to apply it to our hearts, to our lives. We take it seriously. Every sermon you hear, that's God's word for you. That's what he's planned that week for you to hear at this specific time. It's a dangerous way of living to hear God's word each week and ignore it make sure we as God's people we hear his word and we apply it to our lives each week the leaders of the church and the people of the church are meant to also work together it's not the leaders do everything and we listen to them now the church is supposed to work together as the body of Christ notice the end of verse 13 live in peace with each other This is the best model for the community of saints, leaders and members, both as the body of Christ, working together for the sake of the gospel. Church always goes bad when leaders don't love their flock and when members seek to tear down the the leaders. And many church leaders have failed and they've lacked love, and there's many who have failed to preach the truth of God's word. I do not say listen to those leaders, if you end up in a church that departs from the word of God, don't stay there, get out quickly. Only respect and obey faithful, godly leaders. Thankfully here at Pelsall, we it's clear we have leaders who work hard, who do love the people and who do seek to get the truth of God's word out. Therefore, as members, we should listen to God's word each week as it's preached and we should seek to live at peace with our leaders leaders have a huge responsibility to work hard to love God's people and to admonish those who God has entrusted them to but those under the leaders us as members we also have a vast responsibility we must apply what we hear and seek to be at peace with the leaders But also, us as members, we have responsibility towards one another. We are to, as we see in verses 14 to 24, live out godly traits. Live out godly traits. I remember in October 2016, I was going to get a passport. I had an interview. Unfortunately, it was in Liverpool But it was my only option, so I had to go. As I was setting off, I remember my mum giving me lots of instructions. She was making sure I had everything I needed. She was making sure I knew all the potential questions. She was telling me where I could park, and she was telling me all sorts of information. She was trying to make sure that I was ready for the interview by feeding me with lots of information. And the information was helpful, but it was rushed and fired at me quickly. When we read this passage, it may seem like Paul was doing something similar, just trying to get a load of commands across to the Thessalonians. We may think it's just a load of commands that Paul has crammed in, and we might not know what to do with them all. But I want us to see this evening that these aren't just random or just many commands, but they are a great help to us as a church in how we should live with each other. There's three parts to this point, and these commands are to us as Christians. These commands are to the church how we together can live well. The first subheading is live together in love, verses 14 to 15. Verses 14 to 15, live together in love. Colossians 3, 14 says... And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We see this in verses 14 to 15. Notice the different people we are to love in the church. The idle, the disheartened, and the weak. The idle people who, who can work but don't work. The idle are to be warned we are to warn the idol we are to tell them that it's God's plan that his people should be working to end to have a living that can be hard to do uh, but it's a clear command given here in the scriptures we are to encourage the disheartened this could be some somebody who's struggling with trials in their life whatever they are going through we are called to encourage them Maybe in the context here, it's people in Thessalonica who are disheartened because they've lost their loved ones. And it can be hard knowing what to say. But as a congregation, we are to encourage those who are disheartened. Encourage them to keep trust in Jesus. Encourage them with the goodness of God, who he is and what he is like. We are to encourage the disheartened. And we're also to help the weak. This could be somebody who just keeps... Falling into sin. This could be somebody with weak faith who struggles to believe they are saved. This could be somebody who is physically weak, somebody who has physical needs. As a body of believers, we are to help the weak. Maybe weak spiritually, we can point them to Bible verses, we can pray with them, we can help them gain victory over sin. Or maybe somebody who is weak physically We can help them with certain jobs, we can give them lifts, we can help them with the shopping or other needs. This is how we help the weak in our church family, and we're to we're to warn the idle, we're to encourage the disheartened, and we're to help the weak. But notice what Paul says at the end of verse fourteen. We are to be patient with everyone. We are to be patient with everyone. This is tricky, but as the body of Christ, we are to be patient with those who are idle, who are disheartened, and who are weak. Helping someone turn from their sin will probably take time. Helping somebody know they are saved is a long life struggle. And helping the weak isn't always easy, but this is how we look out for each other in love. As a church, God's kingdom is open to all. God is in the business of saving all types of people. And God is saving sinners, people who do wrong. Jesus is saving people who know they need forgiveness, who admit they don't always get things right. He saves people who trust in him alone. And because the church is made up of sinners, all sorts of different people with different backgrounds, different interests, and different ways of living. Because of that, there will be disagreements. There will be fallings out. There may be hurt from time to time. We may be inclined to avoid certain people. But notice verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. When we are wrong, there's always that temptation to pay them back with another wrong. Maybe ignore them, maybe talk behind their back or something else. But instead, as God's people, we are commanded to, against doing that. And in the positive, we are commanded to do good to everyone and each other. That's a hard, hard command to swallow. But we know that it's true and it's right and it's something we should do. And I know that's something we all can work on as a church. We look out for each other as we live together in love, verses 14 to 15. We notice verses 16 to 22. The second subheading, live together in truth. So live together in truth, verses 16 to 22. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I remember a few weeks back, I was watching a football game, at, a few years back, sorry, I was watching a football game at someone's house. It was a big game, and I thought that my team would win. But surprisingly, they didn't win. And I can recall as I left the house, I was feeling annoyed as, because we lost. And as I left, someone quoted A similar verse to verse 16 from Philippians 4.4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I remember thinking, no. (laughs) As, As Christians, we don't always feel like rejoicing, do we? Maybe in much more serious areas of our life, like struggles in our health, or our loved ones, or our jobs, we don't always feel like rejoicing, do we? So how can we rejoice Always. Do we just put a smile on our face and walk around like we're happy all the time? No, we rejoice in the truth. If we are trusting in Jesus, we have eternal life in him. We have our sin forgiven. We have the God of the universe as our father who loves us with an everlasting love. We have God as our friend and helper throughout every single day. If we are in Christ, we have all the promises of God. Though it is hard to rejoice always, we must fight to rejoice every day in the truth of our salvation in Jesus. Our salvation can be never taken away from us. Let me urge you, be somebody always rejoicing in the gospel of Jesus, and that will be a great example to to our fellow believers. Verse 17 tells us, pray continually have a mindset of prayer but again why should we pray continually we pray continually because we know the truth because we know that God answers prayer why do we keep praying for our unbelieving friends and family why do we keep praying for God to change our hearts and also our fellow believers hearts why do we keep praying for God to work in different situations We pray because we know the truth. We know that it's only by God's grace anyone will be saved. We pray because we know only God can transform our hearts and make us more like Jesus. We pray because we know that God can heal and he does provide for all our needs. We pray because we've heard all the times in scripture and in our lives that God has answered prayer. We pray because we know the truth that God is a prayer-answering God, who is almighty and has the power to act for the good of his people. Pray continually because we know the truth about God's power and grace. Look at verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Did you see the the key word in? In. This isn't giving thanks for all circumstances, but give, it, give thanks in all circumstances. How can we do this? How can we give thanks in the circumstances that are painful? Circumstances of loss and discouragement. Circumstances of physical pain. We can give thanks in the truth. If we have a mind set in the truth, we can give thanks knowing the truth about God. Knowing the truth is, is better than understanding We might not understand what God is doing and we might have doubts and questions, but we can get through the tough circumstances by giving thanks to God because he is good. He is faithful. He has a plan. He is in control. He is our loving heavenly father. He is with us in that difficulty and he certainly does care for us. And as Steve said in the past, one of the greatest witnesses An example is a suffering Christian who says, God is good. A knowledge of the truth helps us to give thanks in all circumstances. And when we do that, when we give thanks in all circumstances, we are living according to the will of God in Christ Jesus. Paul continues, verse 19, Do not quench the spirit don't stop the work of the spirit we've seen the work of the spirit in this passage and we see what the spirit does in the christian in galatians chapter 5 in the fruit of the spirit we see in chap in, we see in this passage five parts of the fruit we see love and peace in verse 13 we see patience in verse 14 we see joy in verse 15 and we have In verse 16, and we have goodness in verse 15. Paul wants these Thessalonians to obey the word of God and allow the work of the Spirit in them. Allow God's word to shape their lives. Don't stop the work of the Spirit as he seeks to change you. And now as we come into verses 20 to 22, this is the context of when we gather together. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. What is Paul talking about here as he mentions prophecies? As we know, prophets in the Old Testament, they brought God's word to his people. The prophets back then spoke the actual words of God. Since Jesus has come, the apostles were God's mouthpieces. And he used them to write down the words that we have in the Bible. Today, we don't have apostles and prophets in the same way. We have people who read from the Bible, then explain it. And we don't need to have any more, anything else added to God's word. It's sufficient. it's sufficient, it's complete. But we do need to have it explained. There is, however, times when God uses his people to bring a challenge or some words of wisdom to a certain situation. And it's, and it's quite hard to explain, And the word prophecies is highly debated to what it actually means. And there are different types of prophecies. But in the context here, it's talking about the prophecy where God's word is taught and explained in a church context. And this verse tells us to test all the prophecies and hold fast to what is good and reject the evil. Therefore, we must realize that when God's word is taught... We must test whether it's true or false, whether it's good or evil. We must not just take everything as true. We must think about what we hear from the pulpit. Not that we reject everything. The verse says, hold fast to what is good. But how do we do this? How do we do that? We do this by knowing the truth. Know what the Bible teaches. God's word should always have the final say. God's word is where we find the truth. And to live in truth, we need to know the word of God. And as we listen, if something sounds strange, check it out. Check it out to compare it to what the Bible says. We need to live together in truth. And then the third subheading is live together in hope, verses 23 to 24. Live Together in Hope, verses 23 to 24. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. A Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Often as Christians, we might get discouraged by our failings and wonder why we aren't better and more obedient to Jesus. We can get bogged down in our fight against sin, and we don't see the end in sight. We may even think from time to time, how can I keep going? Will God give up on me? The Christian is a never-finished article. He's never a finished article in this life. We're all a work in progress. We're becoming more and more like Jesus, but it's a process. It's not done overnight. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you can keep going. You feel like sin is too strong. You feel like God will give up on you. Hear God's word here from verses 23 to 24. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If you trust Jesus tonight, God will fully sanctify you at the coming of Christ. If you are clinging to Jesus and him alone, and you seek to live for him, then know this, God won't give up on you. We can encourage each other that one day, all our hardships, all our struggles will be over. God will bring us safely home. When Jesus comes, you will be blameless through Jesus' righteousness. One day, we will be free from sin. We will be like Jesus, and we'll be at home with the Lord forever. Together we need to live in this hope, live in this certain hope. We know that God will bring his people safely home. God will do it. He is faithful. But how does the church do that well? We see this in the last few verses, that sometimes are missed and skipped. Notice verses 25 to 28. A healthy church meets around God's word. Paul firstly commands them to pray for him. Paul knows the need for prayer and the importance of prayer. And he continues in verse 26. And Paul does this in some of his letters, encouraging the church to greet each other with a holy kiss. Someone once translated this as greet one another with a holy handshake. But I don't think that that works. This is a culture and we don't tend to do a holy kiss here but the greeting of a holy kiss implies that the believers are together they are in good fellowship and relationship notice the word in greet all god's people this is clear that all god's people are meeting together they are in the same place meeting together for worship and then also in verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Paul wants all to hear this letter. Paul has in mind that all the believers will meet together, and they'll meet together to hear this letter read. And this is how God wants his church to meet. He wants them to meet together around his word. He wants us all to meet together around his word. Paul finishes his letter as he usually does in, in his other similar letters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And this is a great reminder to the Thessalonians and also to us that we are saved by God's grace. We're undeserving sinners who are saved alone by the grace of God. And we are by God's grace kept and changed into the likeness of Jesus. As I now finish this series on Thessalonians, we've learned what it means to be God's people living in the last days. Tonight, we've seen how we can thrive together as a church, waiting for Jesus to return. We've seen a healthy church respects faithful leaders. A healthy church lives out godly traits together in love, truth, and hope. So add another slide. A healthy, and then finally, we saw a healthy church meet around God's word. So let's now, let's now finish uh, together by singing, I am not my own, and then we'll sing, O church, arise and put your armor on. in prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.